So we continue our study in the book of Philippians. We're working our way through chapter 3 and we're, we're getting there. We're making good progress. Even though this, uh, this book is very rich in the truths of Scripture and the truths of who Jesus is in relationship to God. So we've taken it relatively slow, a couple of verses at the time. Um, so we are glad that we're making progress here almost halfway through the third chapter of Philippians. And uh, last week, uh, Brother Eric uh, preached to us on the things that the Apostle Paul is saying he could have taken credit for. Right? He's, Paul is making the point that if it were up to how good of a Jew, a religious person he was, he's basically saying, have, I have all of you beat. So now in this uh, continuation of the study, now we're going to look at what it takes in order to have the true righteousness before God that is required by him. And we're going to talk about this exchange of exchanging whatever we think is valuable, whatever we think we have gained by our own merits, we need to exchange that for the righteousness of Christ. So this sermon, we're going to focus on what is it that we need to exchange. Next sermon next week, we're going to focus on the righteousness of Christ that we receive when we count all our own merits as garbage, basically. We're going to see that today. Okay, so if you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8 reads, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning your word would instruct us, would correct us, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, and that we would understand, Lord, that whatever gain we might think we have apart from Christ, in the end, is worthless. We cannot fully grasp that truth, Lord, unless you graciously open up our hearts and our minds, either for the first time, or as we continue, Lord, in our walk of becoming more and more like Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon title for today, I called it Temporary Loss Versus Everlasting Gain. And what I would say a, a subtitle for that would be, What are you willing to lose for Christ? Or... What are you not willing to lose? Maybe one of those times where we think that it would be a, a good thing to be a Christian, to congregate, to come to church. But there's some things that eh, are not worth giving up in order to become part of God's family. So, as we come here to this topic this morning, we must ask ourselves, what do we value? What do we value in our lives the most? It could be that we value being respected 
being acknowledged by others, being think, uh, being thought of as highly by others, having a good reputation. And then maybe a couple of more tangible things. We could value our family very much. We could value our health, our employment, our form of provision. And all those are not bad things. We do value those things. There's nothing wrong with that. The real question is, do we value those things more than we value God? Do we value our accomplishments more than we value God? Do we value our possessions more than we value God? So in order to realize whether we value those things or not, we need to ask then, who do we think Christ is? And is he worth more than anything else we could ever gain in our life? The key then is, unless we have the right Christ, unless we know the real Jesus of the Bible, we will always find something that is greater than him. If we have a false Christ, we will always value something more than him. So then who was Christ? There's many opinions on who Jesus was. Many say he was a good teacher. He had some good wisdom worth following. He's a rabbi, teacher, right? But is he just that or is he really who he claimed to be? Is he God from all eternity? Is he creator of all? The God who entered his own creation in Jesus, God in flesh, who lived a perfect life that we never live, who lived a life that was blameless that we could never do. Is that Jesus, the Jesus we know? Is he the Jesus that died a death in judgment that we deserved in our place? Is he the Jesus that was buried but then rose again in bodily form, became alive again? And he ascended and is now seated on the throne. Is that the Jesus we believe in? And not only in theory, but in actuality. Do we believe that those events took place in true space and time. And do we trust in that Jesus? In order to be made right with God, only the righteousness of that Jesus will count for our justification, for our good standing with God. And if we value anything else above that, we're going to be lost. This can be likened to... Being on an airplane ride, a long airplane ride, and us knowing that, being made aware that at some point, this plane is going to go down. How foolish would be of us? Oh, by the way, and they tell us, you know what, there's actually parachutes hidden throughout the airplane. So it's up to you to kind of make sure you find your own parachute. How foolish would it be for us if we're in that plane ride? And we start looking for a good seat, make sure that we have enough snacks, make sure that we have uh, the comfort that we need in order to make ourselves um, well in that flight. How foolish would that be and not spend any time finding the parachute that is going to save our life? In like manner, this life is like a plane ride and it's going down. It's going down for sure. I know at least one of us here that is 
a little bit afraid of plane rides, right? Well, let us think of this life as a plane ride. But we've been cruising for so long that we think, yeah, everything's fine. It's not going down. That's not right. It is going down. In our parachute, our only hope for survival, as Jesus said, even though he died, he will live. It don't, the only hope for us to live in this long plane ride of life is to find that, so, so to speak, parachute that is Jesus. His righteousness, his goodness, his forgiveness. And if we spend our life worrying about the comforts of this plane ride, the time that this plane goes down is coming and we will be found without that needed parachute. Let us think about that as we explore the passage this morning. Have we put on Christ? Have we valued Christ above all else? And wherever we are in that, in that spectrum of whether we have not valued Him or whether we have valued Him, all of us can have a renewed perspective so that we would trust Him, so that we can make ourselves trust in Jesus by His grace, by His Holy Spirit convicting us. So, overall, the book of Philippians has been encouragement, an uplifting message to the church at Philippi, because they, by all measures, seem to be a pretty healthy church. And Paul now is issuing a warning. Warning, warning. He's telling the Philippians, be careful not to retrocede, not to go back in your faith and your progress and all of a sudden think that you'll be able to maintain or keep your righteousness with God by anything that you do. The specific context is that there are a specific group of religious Jews that are saying, well, you could be right with Jesus and you can be a Christian, but you need to do all these other things. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the rituals. You need to follow the ceremonies. You need to follow the traditions. Otherwise, you really are not doing it right. And Paul is saying, careful, warning, that it's not right. What you need to be made right with God is faith in Christ and that alone. And because of that, you are justified. You remain right before God. So as our deacon Eric preached last week in the preceding verses here, Paul laid out his credentials as a devout religious Jew. And his point in those couple verses is simple. He's saying, if having confidence in good works was the basis of our acceptance with God, Paul says, I would have a higher ranking than any of you. I would have you beat. The equivalent of that today, perhaps, is if God rated a Christian by the amount of good stuff they do, then if we are to be zealous, if we are to be wanting to make ourselves right with God through that, then we better get a checklist started. Do I attend church service? Do I read every day? Do I pray every day? Uh, do I do good works? Do I help my fellow brothers? Do I help um, the outside, those that are outside the church? Like, how many good works am I doing, right? Now, mind you, that in itself is not bad, right? Like, all those good works that Paul did, with the exception of perhaps persecuting the church, 
those good works weren't bad. They're to some extent to be virtuous. But the key question is, are those things or the things that we presume that make us right with God, is that what we're banking on? You know, I, I go to church. I was baptized. I grew up in a Christian uh, home. I mean, I serve at church. Or, hey, hey, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm up here. Like, I hope this will gain me some brownie points. Like, is that what we're banking on? Are we appealing to something that we have done in order to be made right with God? And if we are, Paul is saying, no, wrong. You can't do that. And if you trust in that, you're actually going to be condemned. See that? So then in a sense, we understand that if you want to gain God's favor by your performance, knock yourself out because the standard is perfection. You want to be made right with God based on your performance? Go for it. We are reminded what Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, in which Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness is that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? To which the disciples, sooner or later, realized, Lord, then who can be saved? It's impossible. Because the Pharisees and, and the scribes were looked at in that society as the highest of the highest moral beings. And Jesus said, unless you're better than them, you can't enter my kingdom. And that brought a sense of discomfort and despair to the disciples. But then Jesus reminded them that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And it doesn't mean that they're going to go and perform perfection. But it means that what is impossible with men will be made possible through the righteousness of Christ. Right? So if we focus on our good works, when we realize that the standard is perfection and that we already screwed that up, it will bring despair. I've often said in my foolishness as a new Christian, there were a few times when I said, you know what? I can be good. If I try hard enough, I could actually not sin. I, I thought that. And very fast I found out, wow, I can't do it. It's impossible, right? So then the main idea is that to gain the righteousness of God then, what does that mean? The moral standard that God requires to say, yes, you're accepted. Come in, my son, my daughter. In order to gain that righteousness, to be accepted by God, we must abandon, we must put aside the human tendency to appeal to any good thing that we've done. Anything we think we'll be able to take credit for because I did this, I did that, we must abandon that and not claim any credit for that. So we will see that today in the two main points that we will expound which I've put there on, on the notes. First is that human gain is temporary and hence is rubbish. And secondly, that knowing Jesus as Lord brings an everlasting gain. So we're going to expand on those two points today. As we do, let us ask ourselves, have I ever taken for anything of my own doings 
as the basis in which God accepts me? If so, what is God telling me this morning I should do? You have a tendency to take credit for my good deeds. What should I do? So let's take a look at the first point there. Human gain is temporary and hence is rubbish. Philippians 3.7 reads, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let us clarify what we don't mean first, okay? What we don't mean is that we look down on human advancement. That's not what we mean. Why? Because... In God's providence, in God's common grace to all people, God has given men the intellect to be able to advance in technology, in medicine, in creating beautiful art, in creating a civilization in which we have many blessings. All that, right? Scriptures, scripture says in the book of James that all good and perfect gifts come from above. So God in his providence, in his goodness, in his kindness, has given men intellect in order to be able to be in the civilization that we now live. So that's, there's a lot of good in that. So we don't mean that we think less of that or that we think that's bad. That's not what we mean. As a matter of fact, anything that God has provided via advancements in medicine, technology, the arts, etc., etc., are to be used for God's glory. Okay, so we, we, uh, we do not take the stance that we shouldn't partake in those things or that those things are bad. No, that's not what we mean. What we do mean, however, is that when it comes to boasting in our human effort, to either say we don't need God because we're so advanced. And more specifically, taking boast or taking credit in our human effort to be made right with God. That is what we must, we must count as loss. That is where we can not take any credit in order to say that our accomplishment will make us right with God. So Paul here says, but whatever gain I had. Okay, so make no mistake, Paul had gain. Paul had reputation. Paul had respect from his fellow Jewish people. Paul is talking about that gain of having that such position, which he wrongly thought would make him right with God. And in the eternal perspective, those things he said, I have to count as loss. I cannot enter the kingdom of God. I cannot come to Christ and have that here as my baggage of this is why I made it. Paul says, I can't do that. I must get rid of that. Paul is essentially saying, I thought I was gaining God's favor when in fact I was his enemy. Right? And Paul expounds upon that theme a lot in his epistles. So then this attitude of leaving all those works of our own righteousness behind entails setting aside self-righteous pride. That is hard. If we are honest, that is very hard, very difficult to do. One of the first things that comes to our mind in order to get right with God 
then must be the acknowledgement that none good deeds have brought me any closer to God. It's impossible. All these great things that I take pride in, you know, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm a good husband, good wife, I'm a good son, I'm a good daughter, I do well in school, etc., etc. We cannot be bringing that as, Lord, look what I've done. Aren't you going to recognize me? Why? Because that is pride. That is human pride. That is prime trying to show God, look how good I am. A couple of scriptures remind us of that. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Right? Pride in the sense of, in the context we're talking about today, look what I've done. It'll bring disgrace. Because we're essentially saying, my works are worth more than the works of Christ. Or, the works of Christ are good, I acknowledge that, but I need to add to that in order to be accepted by God. You see that? And in contrast, it says that with the humble is wisdom. Putting aside that righteousness that we think we have in our own merit, that's wisdom. And when we acknowledge that, then God says, yes, welcome home, my, my son, my daughter. Because then we are entering in the basis of his rights and not ours. Another scripture that points us to that is Psalm 10.4. And I've actually used the NIV version here. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Right? Our pride will make us think that we're trying to be good for God. But in reality, we actually are abandoning God and clinging on to our pride, to our good deeds. And scripture reminds us that if we're doing that, there's no room for God in our life. Because we want to be God's around over our own life. So then we quickly start seeing here that self-pride must be abandoned. We must count our human spiritual accomplishments as loss. Appealing to our good deeds for justification before God is evidence that we are not seeking God. Okay? Now we are talking here about justification. Being made right with God. That's different than once we are made right with God, living our day-to-day -day life in obedience. Yes, we have to obey. And our obedience, our good works, our good fruit in our lives, the evidence that we are Christians, it will show through good works. But that's not the basis of our salvation. That is because we are saved, that those good works would be evidence in our life. So then Paul is saying, all that gain, being an excellent, righteous Jew, Paul says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. So there's this exchange that I briefly mentioned in the introduction. And that exchange is all the merits that Paul mentions he had in the previous verses, like circumcised on the eighth day, being an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous persecutor of the church, blameless under the law by any human standard, all that, all that credit Paul's saying, I'm going to exchange it and write it off as a loss. 
so that in turn he can gain Christ. When it comes being declared right before God, there is no room for your own righteousness because we have none. No room for it. So we have to pick one. Are we going to put on the righteousness of Christ and be accepted? Or are we going to put on our own? And if we try to put on both, we're basically putting on our own. There's no room for both. Paul realized that the position of being looked at as a good religious Jew was temporary. And he needed to ditch that. So then Philippians 3, 8, the first part of it, it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul reemphasizes what he just said, that the temporary gain which he thought he must, which he thought he had in order to be made right with God, he says that is a loss in order that it may be replaced with the eternal worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, his Lord. There's a realization, there's something that clicks in the mind of a believer when the Holy Spirit convicts us, that makes us realize whatever good I think I have in my lifestyle, in my habits, in my uh, provision that I have now, is worthless compared to what God, what Christ has for me. And this cannot be done, this realization cannot be done unless the Holy Spirit convicts the heart of a person so that we can see the beauty of Christ to see the desperate need of a Savior that we have. It is only then that we can partake of, of this divine exchange. Trading our filth, our garbage, whatever thing we have that is good, that we take pride in. Discarding that and replacing that with the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And when we realize the value of knowing Christ, nothing will be too costly to make the exchange and gain Jesus as Savior. Many times we heard stories about conversions where a person comes to Christ, Christ saves them, and it doesn't matter if their family hates them, they're disowned, even they lose spouse because they now become Christians, but they've been called by God and they're coming. Oh, when God calls you, you're coming. Kicking, yelling, screaming, completely doesn't matter, you're coming. Why? Because that surpassing worth of Christ has been made known to us. And as we walk in our life as Christians, that sense of knowing Jesus, of knowing how worthy He is, should only increase more and more and more and more. Because if that worth decreases, then we're, we're backpedaling. We're regressing in our walk and we're putting our attention on all these other stuff. And it happens to all of us. That's why this message is not only for those that may not know Christ, but it's for us, the ones that are Christians. Because all these distractions will creep in, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm valuing more whatever I could see on my phone, or I could buy on my phone, or how could I get ahead at work to make more money, and not that I need more money, but I just want more money. Or how could I gain more respect from others? I want to be... Of, of good uh, reputation with men. So it's a reminder for all of us. 
the words of Jesus in two very brief parables that he gives illustrate this very, very well, very vividly. The first one is in Matthew 13, 44, which is the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Think about that. Would you ever find something so valuable that you would have to sell all that you own in order to buy that? Jesus says, that's how the kingdom of heaven is like. Realizing the worth of knowing Christ. That's what it's like. Similarly, the parable which is right after that, Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus speaking says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See that? These two passages very vividly illustrate the aspect of making that exchange. These two men sold, it says, all that they had. It doesn't say they kind of left something because that was really valuable. But then the rest, they said, no, it says they sold all that they had in order to go and gain that, that item or that treasure that was invaluable. So then what we see is that the surpassing value of knowing Christ is worthy of that exchange. Whatever we think has value in order to be made right with God or things that we get carried away with in our lives that we chase after over and over, day after day, year after year. The value of those things, even though they, it may not be bad, right? But nevertheless, we're putting our time and our resources in those things. The value of that is minuscule when compared to the worth of selling all, getting recounted as lost in order to know Jesus. This then speaks of the radicalness of the gospel. Radicalness of the gospel. Are you ready, willing, and able to then trade everything that you deem valuable for the sake of knowing Christ? If whatever we have now, either material or otherwise, is stumbling us from following Christ fully, are you ready to give that up in exchange for the sake of knowing Christ? If we are honest, there are some things holding us back from following Christ fully. What are those things? And are you willing to give those up or are those too valuable that you can't give those up? Like, I'll give this stuff up, but this, i got to hang on to this. That could be a specific sin that we have. Or it could be the desire to be respected or not ridiculed. Right? Or it could be possessions. Right? These things and me chasing after them, money, that's too important for me. I, I cannot abandon that. So what is it? We all have something. What is it? 
Luke 14, 27 and 33, Jesus speaking, reminding us of that radicalness that is required to follow him. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You cannot. Why? Because you're valuing other things more than Christ. And Jesus says, is one or the other. You cannot be my disciple if you're following after all those other things as the ultimate means of, of your fulfillment. You can't do it. You cannot be my disciple. So then if we are honest, this type of radicalness is foreign to American Christianity. It really is. Can we think of any evidence? Well, is it or is it not true that we mainly seek our own gain, well-being, and comfort? And then whatever remains, we will dedicate to God. Is it or is it not true that although we may be part of a church, the moment our commitment to the Lord implies any sort of inconvenience, we rather just keep it superficial and not really push forth for a, a more firm commitment to, to Jesus and his work. Is it or is it not true that if a fuller commitment to Christ implies giving up our current lifestyle, we would quickly find an excuse of why we would be justified not to commit to the things of God. Until we see the worth of being committed to Christ as eternal, Christ having that surpassing eternal worth compared to the worth of all the temporary distractions in life, if we don't see that, we will not be able to make the exchange of the temporary for the eternal. Moving on to point number two. That is, knowing Jesus as Lord is going to bring us an everlasting gain. Philippians 3.8, the second part of it, reads, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Here, the words of Paul, the phrase he uses, I have suffered the loss, in the Greek that means to forfeit, to lay down, to give up all. Give up all those credentials. Just lay it down. I, I'll give it up. Paul says, I have suffered the loss. So Paul traded everything as the role model of over an achieving Jew, along with any enjoyments that came with that before men. He exchanged all that, get this, for the suffering that would come if he followed Christ. He went from being a respected Pharisee, a scholar, very knowledgeable in the law. He went from that high position in the view of men to basically the scum of the earth. Persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and ultimately killed for the sake of Christ. See, Paul, exchange, he made that exchange. And to the world, that seems like foolishness. Sometimes there's people who God calls and saves that they make this exchange. Like whatever they had, they give that up and they dedicate their lives fully and honorably to Christ. 
But in the eyes of the world, that's stupid. That's foolish. And it is in the eyes of the earth, in the eyes of the world. Because the scripture says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Right? Just as the parable of the hidden treasure then, and the parable of the great price, Paul realized that being in the kingdom was infinitely more valuable than any honor or gain he would have from those men around him. And then he is trading the temporary gain, praise, respect, reputation, etc., for knowing Christ, which brought him humiliation, which brought him ultimately death, but acceptance before God. See that? Whereas having respect and gain in, among men would have brought him eternal destruction. He traded that to have humiliation, to have persecution and death, but gain Christ. Infinite gain. So then Paul says something very interesting here. He says that all that credit he had, humanly speaking, he says he counted them as rubbish, all those accomplishments in order that he may gain Christ. All of the honors and accomplishments that Paul had, when compared to the value of knowing Christ, he has categorized those accomplishments as rubbish. Now let me tell you what word Paul uses there to say rubbish. The word there in the Greek, skuvalon, it literally means a pile of animal waste. Feces. A lot of times we're not aware that the scripture uses very harsh language when it's trying to drive down a point. Like, get this. Like when Paul says, if anybody ever preaches you and know the gospel, let him be anathema. He says, let him be burned, damned in the deepest part of hell. That's the type of language scripture uses when it's trying to make us understand the criticalness, the importance of the gospel. Here, Paul assigns a value to all his excellencies as a religious Jew, to all his accomplishments of his human intellect and his zealous desire to be made right with God in his own merit. Paul assigns a value to that worth, and he says, it's worth a pile of crap. See that? So then, if Paul assigns that to the excellence he had, am I any better than Paul? What worth then do my good works have if I come to God and say, hey, look at me, Lord. I've done pretty well. Imagine that. I'm disqualified. Not even close. A very vivid verse that brings this concept to life is also Isaiah 64, 6. The first part of that verse. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Again, the notion that our good deeds before God in order to become righteous with Him, worthless. 
We must abandon them. And we must focus on the righteousness of Christ. So then what can we say about these two verses that we've explored today? Well, first is, what have you given up for the sake of knowing Christ? We've learned that at the very least, we must learn to give up any claim to righteousness of our own. We need to give that up. We, we don't have any righteousness of our own. But also, other things may apply. We may have given up a good reputation before family, friends, colleagues, etc. But that's difficult because pride gets in the way. We still want to be thought of as this great person. Then secondly, the question comes up, what have you still not given up for the sake of knowing Christ? And again, one of the first things is pride. Pride is there at the root. Something that perhaps we can all relate to would be those, that are, those of us that are married is the pride of being right with our spouse and continue bickering, which leads to bitterness, broken fellowship with each other and with God. Right? We keep tripping over the same stone over and over and over and over. Like I want to be made right with Jesus and have a godly home. But man, I got I to gotta tell my wife that she's, she's wrong. Oh, but I want to be humble. I want to humbly tell her that she's wrong. <laughs> See how that works? It's pride. And then it happens over and over and over and over, right? To where it's a normal occurrence. And then I have to realize that I have not given up my pride in order to be made right with God. And I must repent. And then also for some of us, we have not given up self-righteous religiosity. Thinking that we merit God's favor because we are better Christians than other Christians. Like, I have superior theology than other Christians. Like, I have good understanding of the Bible, unlike others. And that's why, Lord, you should look upon me with favor. How ridiculous is that? That's very plainly put, but many of us have fallen in that category. Where it should be the opposite. If indeed we understand who God is. If indeed we have gained maturity in our walk with Christ. This should bring us nothing but humility. We should fall on our face and thank the Lord for that. And we must abandon our pride. And any claim to any brownie points that we think we may have earned for being good Christians. It is all because of Christ and we must repent if we have any inclination to take credit for our own, for our own goodness. And then lastly, if we cling to our temporary gains, we will lose Christ. There's no room for both. There's no room to claim our righteousness plus the righteousness of Christ in order to be made right with God. Scripture talks about 
the coming judgment when we face our Creator. And it talks about wearing the proper garments on that judgment day. And we are told that in order to be made right with God, we are to have a perfect clean garment, a white robe, which reflects the perfection of Christ. Like an invite that is coming to this great banquet must be wearing the right clothes, right? Jesus talks about that. The implication here is that when you come before God, you must be clothed in perfect spotless garment. What is that garment? That garment is the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. And it says that if you're found with any stain, with any dirty garment, you're tossed out. You won't make it. So then that's the reminder that we either wear the righteousness of Christ, which is not our own, it's Jesus, and he puts it on us. We either wear that, or we keep our filthy, stinky, spotted clothes. Which is going to be the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus, or do I have anything to show on my own? And then, what are we willing to give up for Christ? That's the ultimate question. May God help us to say, as Paul said, I count everything as loss. May God help us to say, I will sell all to go and buy that infinitely worth treasure. May I sell all to go and buy that pearl of great price. May God give us a conviction to say, Lord, yes, I will count everything as loss so that I can gain the righteousness of Christ. And that cannot happen unless the Holy Spirit acts in our mind and hearts so that we can have that understanding. Now, if God has given you that understanding, be obedient. Act upon it. And if God has not given you that understanding, ask Him to. Plead to Him. Lord, awaken in me that truth. Because only Him will be the one to make you understand. Now that happens through the preaching of the Word. That happens through being in community. Yes. But it will be Him. It will be the Holy Spirit who gives the increase and gives us that faith. So next week we will see then how Paul turns from not appealing to his righteousness to appealing only to the righteousness of Jesus, which he says that he wants to be found in that righteousness. And Paul says, a righteousness which is not my own. We'll see that next week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you may really indwell us with your Holy Spirit so that these truths of us knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus would be made known in our lives this morning, Lord. And that we would abandon any good merits that we think we have before you to be made right with you. And that we would cling only to the merits of Jesus. We cannot do that unless you grant us the miracle of being born again, Lord.
And if we are born again, Lord, and we are backsliding or we are thinking that other accomplishments, whether material or otherwise, are going to fulfill us, Lord, help us to repent from that and to draw to you the giver of life who will bring us the everlasting gain of knowing you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.